Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, have plans been finalized for Hamilton's economic recovery? Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger will join us to talk about that. Mohawk College is warning its staff of a $50 million loss in revenue due to the pandemic. Ontario Opposition Party is asking for the government to step up and help them out. And yesterday, Premier Doug Ford announced some of the rules that sectors are going to have to face once businesses are allowed to reopen. Are they viable? The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. To provide an update on how the city is faring with the pandemic and uh, some changes about where we're going and maybe some direction on that, uh, we're pleased to welcome back to the program Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger for an update on how the city is dealing with uh, COVID and uh, the days coming forward. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Good morning, Bill. Uh, we're hearing all sorts of discussions about f- from the federal and provincial governments and even from some municipal governments about moving on now and the way this, this is going to look. Now, I know you got uh, the okay from your council colleagues uh, the other day uh, for your, your task force. Uh, yep. Talk to us about how that's going to be implemented and what kind of a role those, those people are going to play as, as the city develops a strategy, Mr. Mayor. Well, once we uh, we get the kind of go ahead and we have a, a roadmap in terms of what businesses can and should be opening based on public health recommendations and the virus that's out there, so we're really in the hands of the province in terms of setting out some guidelines. Then we're we're going to help facilitate, and the, the whole purpose of the economic recovery recovery task force is to facilitate uh, helping businesses uh, navigate the, uh, the the funding that's out there, navigate the requirements for per- personal protective equipment. Uh, navigate possible financing that, that might be required as a result of the, the downturn that they've had or the inability for them to operate and maybe some financial challenges that are going forward. So I really see this task force as a facilitating group uh, trying to help streamline processes for people. We have a business development center downstairs. Possibly we could redeploy some of those folks to, uh, to help with individual businesses that are having challenges in reestablishing their, uh, their operations. So, uh, you know, it's not, uh, you know, as you know, the city doesn't have deep pockets to be able to provide financing, but we can provide uh, expertise uh, and facilitate, uh, you know, things like personal protective equipment. Uh, There's going to be a lot of that needed going forward uh, in all sectors. You know, the new normal is going to look uh, quite differently than the, the old normal. And so a lot of protective equipment is going to be required. So maybe the city can be the facilitator to, to procure this uh, on behalf of uh, the businesses out there that need this on a kind of a payback process. So it's really all about how do we help our, our local businesses, our local economy, whether it's in music or film or whether it's restaurants or the accommodations industry or any others, get, get reestablished again in the best way possible as quickly as possible once we get the green light. And to be able to facilitate them doing it as safely as, uh, as necessary, given that this virus is still going to be out there and that's going to have to be a factor in everything we do for the next good while. Mr. Mayor, are you concerned uh, about the long-term impact this could have on some of the developments and some of the investments that we had talked about over the last eight or nine months? Uh, you just mentioned the film industry, the entertainment industry. Of course, mm-hmm. we have that, that plan in the books for, for you know down by the waterfront there, the film studio that was going to be revamped. Uh, significant investment. Uh, a lot of other investment, of course, uh, down on further down the, the, the waterfront uh, with residential, commercial, etc. Uh, obviously, everything's on hold right now, but are you concerned? Are, are these things still going to go ahead? Are you concerned that you may, may just have to put a lot of stuff on hold until we get back on our feet? Well, that's really up to the uh, to the, the individual uh, developer businesses. But, I mean, I'm not getting a sense from our economic development department that uh, their applications and their 
there are uh, folks that are preparing for uh, new developments have slowed down any. In fact, uh, you know, some of them have actually advanced. Uh, you know, so the application process is still ongoing, and I'm hearing that uh, that it's ro- as robust as it's as it was previously. So I'm not seeing a particular slowdown. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't worry about the film industry too much, given uh, given the kind of confinement that we've had. Uh, the production of film and, and, and productions to entertain people is uh, on the rise, not unlike the way uh, you know online sales for uh, for goods are on the rise. So I'm not I'm not sure that's an industry we need to worry about. I think they're gonna they're gonna do they're gonna be just fine. Uh, more important uh, areas to worry about is the small to medium sized businesses that are providing you know, products and services uh, in the community. That's where the major concern is. Uh, I think, uh, you know, residential developments are likely to going to continue. Uh, there may be, uh, you know, a slight modification in terms of pricing, but I don't, I, I, I don't, no one knows yet what the market in that area is going to do. But the reality is that people still need to live somewhere. And I think uh, those developments are likely to continue. We're not hearing any pullback on the broader economic development front, at least not at this point. And so uh, the, uh, the major concern is the uh, the small medium sized businesses, the 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 mama, you know, the hair the hairstylists, the, uh, the 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 you know the eye doctors, the, uh, the the variety stores, the retail outlets, the malls. Um, you know, all of those are are very very challenged right now. The specialty stores, a lot of them have popped up in recent years because people are are being entrepreneurial. Uh, many of those are, uh, you know, going to be challenged going forward as well. And then, you know, think of all the restaurants that have popped up. Uh, and we've we've been noted as being the fastest growing restaurant scene in the in North America. Well, all of that has been shuttered. And uh, can they and how do they get back up into business at some reasonable level that they can uh, ma- maintain the employment and sustain themselves? Those are areas that are going to need significant attention and significant COVID. Uh, coronavirus attention relative to how they do all of this startup uh, with some, with some level of protection that's going to be very very important. Is the economy as a whole going to take a hit at some level or another? You got to think so because uh, you know these bills are mounting uh, both federally, provincially, and municipally, and uh, you know we're going to try and cover off as much as we can. But at the end of the day, uh, there's going to be a reach into the pockets of uh, taxpayers and uh, and you know for you know residential taxes. Uh, you know, property taxes, income taxes, provincial taxes. Uh, you know, you can't wash away this this uh, significant uh, debt burden that we're creating to help offset the economy right now, doing the right thing. But there's a bill to be paid at the end of the day. And how does that impact the economy down the road is, uh, is still very much an unknown question. Well, and on top of that, you're going to, with some of these small businesses that you've just mentioned, uh, I'm probably going to incur some additional expenses, uh, you know, vis-a-vis the new normal. Uh, you mentioned the shields and a different way of doing business. Uh, I know, at least in the initial stages, you know, a restaurant with a capacity of 65 people is not going to be allowed to have 65 people in there simply because of the right. the, the, the physical distance that's going on. So there's going to be that element. And, and I wanted to talk to you specifically about that and how that's going to roll out. And, and the implications, of course, and the added cost that small businesses are probably going to have to incur. But uh, there's some discussion in some circles. I know even the city of Toronto is, a, is, is having a discussion right now about whether or not uh, the, 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 the face masks that we many people are seen wearing these days might be mandatory for people riding things yep. like public transit and things of that nature. Have you had that discussion yet? Yeah, I think those uh, those discussions are happening, and uh, you know the reality is that uh, depending on what public health recommends, I think there it's a, there's a strong likelihood that if we're going to 
going to bring our transit system back up and running. And, uh, you know, at some point we got to get back to the, to the fare box and uh, getting some more people on transit. And so certainly some protective uh, equipment is going to be required. Uh, it may very well be that uh, when we're out in public at any point, that uh, public health might recommend that we uh, we wear some sort of a you know a mask, uh, not necessarily an N95, but uh, mm-hmm. you know maybe a surgical mask or a scarf or a you know some sort of shield uh, when we're interacting in public as a whole. Now, you know the, the and when we say in public, uh, you know most people would say that when you're outdoors, you, you're you're probably you know safer out outside. Uh, you know when you can physically separate. Uh, you're more inclined to spread this virus when you're indoors, in places of, of, of business. So when you're in a retail store, when you're in a, a restaurant, when you're in the office, uh, you know, I can imagine call centers that are still very active. You know, you're used to having people, you know, sit, sit reasonably close together. Well, that's all going to change, uh, and they may have to have some additional protections in place when they when they do that. I mean, all of those things, office locations, insurance companies that, you know, are used to having you know, banks of people, uh, you know, servicing their clients, uh, you know, in, in fairly uh, confined spaces are now going to have to rethink their, their operations and do some physical separating and require some personal protection so that uh, those that are working in the office can be assured and have confidence that they're not going to contract the virus uh, while they're there. And so all of that is, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, when I think about it, it's, it's somewhat daunting at the moment, but it's the stuff that we're going to have to do. To make sure that we protect not only the, uh, the 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 patrons of whatever business it is, but the employees of that business. So we all have a collective responsibility, and whatever we can do, and through this task force to help streamline that, uh, help you know the, the you know wh- why why have each individual restaurateur try and figure out how to uh, best source personal private uh, protection per- protection PPE. Sorry. Or source, uh, you know, how the best, uh, you know, get their their restaurant uh, operations back up and running. How, how about we, uh, you know, help them by creating some sort of a template that we can give them and say, here's some best practices that we're aware of. Why don't you try that uh, rather than trying to reinvent the wheel on your own? Mr. Mayor, how do you see this rolling out? Uh, because the, the first couple of steps are going to be very important. And we saw last week some jurisdictions in the states, Georgia comes to mind, uh, and but there were some others that basically said, okay, fine, just open your doors. Uh, your, your salon, go ahead, knock yourself out. Restaurant, sure, go ahead. And well, let's just see what happens. That seemed to be the attitude of the governor anyway. I know a number of the, the mayors, including the mayor of Atlanta and, and, and a yep. couple of other places, were very concerned about that and the implications. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, now, I juxtapose that with what the premier was talking about yesterday yesterday with the, the parameters he set out and it looks like we're moving ahead incrementally here and very much based on what public health tells us in other words he's not going to well, set a date he's going to let let the numbers and the statistics indicate is that is that your mindset too so totally and you know what if we do otherwise then we're risking the potential of having another spike and uh and you know why why waste all of this great effort that we put into separating ourselves and isolating and you know the community throughout the country has done a terrific job of doing that and we're we're well off as uh, you know comparatively speaking as a result of that and in hamilton uh, you know we've done a great job as well and so why waste that effort by jumping out there too soon and ironically and i, I you know the reports that i've read about georgia was that even though the establishments are open people are not going mm-hmm. they don't have the confidence that uh, the, 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 the protections are in place to prevent them from, from contracting this virus. So this virus is going to dictate how uh, you know, all of this is going to happen in the future, and we might as well 
listen to public health and their recommendations, and then follow those recommendations and follow that through to whatever we can start to open up. So when the public health says, yes, you can open up uh, the, you know, the, the beach walkways and the parks, yep, they'll probably say that, but they'll also say, but you have to maintain you know, that six foot, uh, you know, spatial separation or physical separation. And you may want to think about, uh, you know, having a, you know, a mask on, especially if you're a jogger and you're breathing heavy and you're, you know, obviously, uh, you know, excreting more material into the air, then, you know, maintain a larger separation. So there's going to be a lot of rules around how, how all of this happens, but it's all geared towards preventing this virus from over overrunning, you know, the community and, and spreading like wildfire and then overrunning the healthcare system. And then we end up in, after all of this great work, in a situation like they had in Italy where they have to make choices between who gets a ventilator and who does not or who gets healthcare and who does not. So uh, we don't want to be there. Uh, they, you know, so far we've done a terrific job of managing this whole process. The premier's done a great job. They're laying out some some markers as to you know how we could do this, but saying, look, we're going to be guided by what the public health uh, officials tell us uh, is the right thing to do based on the virus's activity in our community. So if we do that, I, I think we're going to be in great shape. Uh, what we have to get used to, unfortunately, is this. this uh, and I'm, I'm looking for another word, but I can't think of one right now. That new normal that we're going to have as things start to relax, that uh, it's not going to be business as usual. It's going to be qu- quite dramatically different. But we need to do everything possible to, to try and, you know, promote our economy, promote employment, uh, promote uh, the ability for people to, uh, to have income so they can support themselves and the businesses. But at the same time, also be cautious and wary of the virus that's out there and put all the protections and safeguards in place to ensure that everyone has confidence that we're minimizing the risk as much as humanly possible. Got about a minute left. I got to ask you about uh, enforcement for just a second. I know that at your town hall the other day, uh, Ken Leander, to charge of bylaw enforcement, was there and talking about some of the uh, the tickets that have been handed out. As you move into this new normal that you just referenced, uh, even the premier yesterday talked about hiring extra inspectors to go around and make sure that everybody's in compliance. Is that mm-hmm. going to be necessary here, or are you going to rely on on self policing of people to just pay attention to do what they're doing? No, no, we're going to do both. I mean, we're, uh, we've already got the bylaw enforcement officers working on, uh, you know, the enforcement of the COVID issue. So they're doing both property standards, uh, you know, the usual stuff, but also, you know, pulling into that uh, additional work on the COVID issue. And if we, if we need more resources to uh, ensure that the uh, community, uh, you know, stays safe and is doing the right thing, then uh, we'll certainly look at that. But we don't foresee that for now. But the reality is there's going to be a, a re- a, an enforcement required as it is now. Uh, if people are, uh, you know, gathering in too large in numbers or the churches are filling up uh, as they shouldn't do and people are getting too close to one another and potentially spreading virus, then, you know, a bylaw or policing is going to be there and they're going to they're going to take it and fine. But what we want to have happen, which has predominantly happened at, up till now, is by and large we get compliance from people. Well, you know, we have some hot spots uh, with Albion Falls. I understand that, you know, at Albion Falls, it's mostly out-of-town people that are coming there, and that, that's certainly been the case previously, and that seems to be the case today as well, that, uh, you know, people are coming from other places, but still congregating as they should not, and potentially spreading this virus here or wherever they go home to. And so the we're, enforcement's going to be important. We're going to continue to have hot spots, but the reality is most people are doing what they're asked to do, and if we continue to do that as we roll out into a... Uh, new normal, a new environment in terms of uh, getting back into some employment and, you know, opening up those recreational spaces, we're going to be fine. This weekend, 
is going to be a challenge because I hear the weather is going to be fantastic. And, uh, you know, why waste all of this effort we put into getting us to where we are now and the, you know, reasonably good position we're in relative to the virus? Uh, if we uh, relax now and uh, just everybody throw the caution to the wind and just connect with everybody, the, the likelihood that we're going to spread this virus is very, very, very high. So don't, don't relax now. Maintain the posture we're in right now. Let's, let's have this. Get, let's get through this. Uh, and get to a point where we can say we can start to relax now because we think we can minimize the risk of spreading this virus by virtue of the protections we're going to put in place. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Mr. Mayor, uh, stay well. We'll talk again next week about this. Appreciate the time today. You too. I wish everybody a great weekend. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the more troubling stories we heard yesterday was the impact this is having on post-secondary institutions. Uh, Mohawk College, of course, uh, the, the, our fabulous Mohawk College here in Hamilton, uh, is now talking about a $50 million deficit. Well, they're going to have to find $50 million in savings. And uh, that means cuts, and it means cuts to an awful lot of stuff, which is going to be very problematic. Uh, Andrea Horvath, leader of the opposition here in the Ontario government, is suggesting that the government needs to step up here. Uh, Andrea Horvath joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to uh, bring us up to speed on that. Andrea, good morning. I hope you are well today. I'm very well, thank you, Bill. And mine and myself and my family are doing very well. How about you and yours? Yes, we are. Uh, hold up here, the and just uh, in, in Casa Kelly, and you know we're we're safe and we're going to stay that way, as far as I'm concerned. I'm very I'm concerned very about this, and and the, 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 the situation specifically with Mohawk College. I'm I'm sure we're going to get details about McMaster because they're facing similar challenges right now, but but. <laughs> Everything that could go wrong with community colleges has gone wrong here. I mean, they, uh, you know, they, they've student enrollment is possibly going to be down. I know they rely heavily on foreign students and their tuition uh, to try to cover some of those expenses. A few of those students are going to be here. This is a real problem for this college, and I'm sure more co- just about every community college. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a real problem for community colleges and for universities. And we've seen over the last number of years a gradual withdrawal of a of uh, provincial support uh, in Ontario from our college system, the former government and this government, uh, and and it's it's taking its toll. I mean, that's why there's been such a push for more international students because they can charge these uh, high tuition fees. But in a situation like this, of course, uh, that's that's really going to be hampered. And uh, you know, we we right now uh, don't even fund 50% provincially of our of our post secondary institutions, where other provinces have gone the opposite direction and have actually started at, for years now have have because of the changing global economy and the changing technology that's so rapid changing uh, you know work environment uh, other provinces have done the opposite and invested more uh, in their post-secondary institutions but now here we are um, and uh, you know I, I certainly am not putting any blame whatsoever on the college I mean they're they're in a really bad spot and this is where we need the provincial government uh, to identify a role uh, and an important role that they they should take in shoring up the finances of these institutions we these it's not easy to start up from from scratch a, a post-secondary institution right so we have to keep them operating and keep them afloat uh and doing everything that they can to help uh you know to help people continue with their education and and you know perhaps there will be even more demand for colleges and university education as uh, as we come out of COVID 19 and, and see where our economy is and what the needs are yeah, and then we're going to get this stark realization that, sorry, we can't afford to uh, present that program anymore because we don't have any money. And we talked about this, I think you were on the program way back when, 
when the premier made his announcement about quote unquote reducing tuition hey i'm doing everybody a favor and places like mohawk and mcmaster say wait a second that's where most of our revenue comes from if you're reducing that tuition we've got to start reducing so this this was already a bad situation and i mean nobody even saw covid coming when that happened and it's it's really just made a bad situation that much worse yeah, I mean, we, we've seen a $700 million uh, withdrawal from uh, funding in universities by this government. Um, it, it's just it's it's just not good. Uh, it, it put it put them um, already in a, a difficult challenge. Um, you know, about about 60 percent of uh, of what's left um, if schools don't meet uh, a criteria designed by Ford's administration is also at risk. Uh, so, you know, the, the Ford government has been. Um, I think very dis- disregardful, very um, at, at work at, at initiating uh, changes in the post-secondary system that are are going to be uh, worse instead of better, making it harder for students, making it harder for institutions to provide the uh, the robust uh, kind of um, array of courses and opportunities that they should be able to provide. And, and, and in Ontario, I mean, the biggest province in, in Canada population-wise, I mean, it's just a travesty, a complete travesty. Well, and you talked about the Ford and students, and I know that's going to be an area of concern for every post-secondary education institution right across the country uh, because they do rely on that. They do charge foreign students more, and they, the students readily pay for it because of the quality of education. But there are travel restrictions right now, Andrea. I mean, it's, they, even if they wanted to, some of these students are not going to be able to come in here and, and do this. So, so there's, there's going to be a, a heck of a problem here. When, and I know that, that Paul Armstrong up at the college uh, had some concerns about this and talked about possible cuts to certain programs. We're going to talk with Ron McCurley about that from Mohawk College in just a couple of minutes. But this is going to be a much different situation unless the government steps up. And they've done so to their credit, although we can argue about how effective these are going to be. They've done it with, with small business and with, uh, with other f- individual situations, albeit I think they could do a lot more for that. But they have not yet talked about the institutions, the education institutions, or the boards of education for that matter. And that's our future. I mean, we, we need people to go through these systems to be educated and to be the leaders of, of tomorrow. But Well, if they're, they're going to have to drop enrollment and they're going to have to start dropping programs, what does that do to the quality of education? No, no, absolutely. What does it what does it do to the, the capacity for us to meet the challenges of the future? I think you've nailed it there, uh, Bill. But I mean, the other thing is, you know, most of the programs um, that have been c- coming forward for business have come from the federal government, though. I mean, yeah. the provincial government has really not stepped up to the plate much at all in terms of, you know, direct assistance, uh, you know, deferrals of taxes and, and, and payment of uh, various, uh, uh, you know, uh, payroll requirements and those kinds of things is you know is one thing but but really what does that do if you're not bringing any revenue in in the first place i mean it's it's those deferrals i guess are welcome but they're certainly not enough and so we've been asking for a couple of things of the provincial government uh on the business and not-for-profit side to try to shore up some of those organizations because you know really at the end of the day the stronger we can be when this starts to be in our back, um, you know, rearview mirror, if you will, the stronger we can come out of this, uh, the better chance we have of, of firing the economy back up and getting people back to work. How difficult is this going to be to, to have this discussion and this debate, given the, 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 the new reality of what's going on, for instance, even in the legislature? Uh, you know, the sessions are, are different now. It's not as if you have the usual question period where you can grill the government about this and try to get some answers on this. This is a, a much different scenario. 
Yeah, no, it's been quite challenging. In fact, we're going back on May 12th, and we are going to have a question period, thank goodness. And we are also, uh, it looks like we're in the process of negotiating right now at our House leaders' meetings with the government on uh, getting a couple of days a week. Again, not a full legislature, just a a skeleton crew, if you will, uh, but with a question period. Uh, perhaps a couple of times a week, maybe twice a week. All of those things are being negotiated um, because because really it is an important time to, you know, to hold the government to account. And, and there will be a time when, you know, we are even uh, that much more able to, uh, you know, to, to put the scorecard out and to put the analysis out as, as to what the government did well and what they did not so well. Um, but we, what we've been trying to do is, is be productive. We've been trying to identify gaps and uh, uh, and be constructive in our uh, in our approach to the government. Many thousands of letters, literally, well, certainly hundreds, have gone to various ministers and to the premier uh, on things that we think that the government needs to do. I mean, here we are, May first, rent is due again, and we still don't have a program uh, to mm-hmm. help renters, which will then also help landlords uh, to pay the uh, the rent this month. And uh, and many many people are very very stressed about that. So there are lots of pieces. Uh, to the work that we're going to do. And, and we're certainly looking forward to question period um, and looking forward to getting some answers uh, from the government. Uh, we, we, we really do need to look to our, uh, our government uh, to help uh, get people through this financially. Other provinces have stepped up to the plate in many different ways. And unfortunately, Ontario is about the bottom when it comes to any programs that for direct support for people. It's unfortunate. Opposition Leader Andrea Horvath. Andrea, thanks as always for the time. We'll uh, certainly follow up on this uh, when you guys get back to work on the 12th and uh, see what the Premier's got to say. Uh, Stay healthy. uh, Have a good weekend. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. You too, Bill. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, so I want to find out just how this is going to impact what's going on at the college. And this is, you know, Mohawk College, one of the great success stories. A community college program is a great success story here in the province of Ontario. And uh, they are, as, as the, the signs and slogans have been saying, future ready. They're the future uh, of the workforce here and, and play such a key part in that. And when you take a financial hit like this, you have to wonder about the ramifications. To try to add some clarity to that, we're pleased to welcome to the program Ron McCurley, who is the president of Mohawk College. Ron, thank you so much for uh, joining us. I appreciate the time today. Uh, Bill, my pleasure, and I hope you are healthy and well. We are doing well. We are, uh, you know, uh, doing the sci-fi isolation here, and it seems to be working so far with, uh, you know, <laughs> looking out the window to see what's going on in the world, but I'm okay with that for now, for the time being. Uh, as you know, I, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Mohawk College as, as a former student there, and I'm very, very excited about the work and the contribution the college makes. Uh, but boy, to take a hit like this and, and to understand that you're going to have to start looking for $50 million in efficiencies and savings uh, because of the current circumstance, it, it, to suggest it's a daunting task, I think, is a massive understatement, Ron. Well, you know, but fortunately, we've got a lot of great people working there, as you know, Bill, and they are turning their attention to it. And, you know, it is a, it is a bump in the road, but it is only a bump in the road, and, uh, and, and we will recover as the economy will recover. You know, it's, everybody's going through a tough time right now as uh, businesses shut down, and, uh, t- you know, everybody's trying to figure out how to make it through, and we, we're no different than anyone else in that regard. And you're really, I guess, going by, I have to go say by the seat of your pants because I know you guys do long-term planning, but you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, you've had to close down. You don't know exactly when you're going to open up. I know that the, the current uh, suspension is, I, I think, until June 1st, isn't it, Ron? But you don't know whether or not June 2nd you're, be, you're going to be able to open the doors or even what you're going to be allowed to, to, to offer at that stage. 
Yeah, so we are, the, the physical premises are closed until June yeah. 1st, that's right. But we are offering uh, our spring and summer uh, programs online. So uh, the, the students will start May 25th, and uh, that program, those programs will go until uh, towards the end of August. So we continue on. We continue providing uh, online programs. You know, the good news is, uh, Mohawk College has a lot of history in providing courses online. We were one of the early adopters and leaders of online learning. We've been doing it for almost a decade now. We've perfected it uh, over time. So, uh, so students are getting still getting a good quality education. There are some things we can't do online, obviously. Uh, some of the labs and some of the the skilled training, uh, uh, the applied nature of the skilled training that we do, but. But, but by and large, students are getting a very good quality uh, education still. Well, I've talked to a couple of families whose, uh, whose sons and daughters have gone through the online situation, just even over the last month of the last semester, and totally impressed uh, with, uh, with how it's worked and, and how effective it's been. The students and everyone else seems to be happy with that. And that, as we, again, to shoot, use the same phrase, Ron, might be the, next, the new normal for the next little while anyway, because we don't know what's going to be happening. What about student enrollment, though? When you, when you have financial challenges like this, uh, not of your own doing, uh, you know, it's, it's just what happened, and you're not the only guys going through this. Everyone seems to be these days but student enrollment and tuitions and things like that are one of the major sources of, of funding for the programs that you offer right now are you you're concerned about the impact that might have well we, we, we are I mean obviously uh, it, because we set uh, the country has shut down uh, inbound travel uh, for international students which represent about one in four of our students at Mohawk College uh, getting new international students in for the fall uh, could be a challenge now, we do know, Bill, that about 80% of our international students who have completed semester one are still in country, so they will be here to begin semester two, three, four, five, or six uh, online in September. Um, but, but getting new international students into the country may or may not happen. It, you know, it depends on whether we uh, ease those restrictions, open the borders, whether uh, embassies are working to process visas, a whole host of things. So those are outside of our control, so we can only uh, focus on what we can control at this time. Ron, when you start looking at, at where to find the savings, and, and you know, governments have been challenged with this, you've been challenged with this, this is not new for you guys at all uh, because of, the, of government funding restrictions that have gone on in, in the past. Uh, where do you look? I mean, are we going to? Will there be discernible differences in in the in the the, pro, the programs that Mohawk is going to be able to present, or uh, you know, vis-a-vis? -vis, well, we can't afford to do this one anymore because we just don't have the funds, or we don't have the enrollment, we don't have the tuition for this. Uh, do, how do you see this looking? Come, let's use it as a barometer. Let's say September when that the fall semester gets underway. Yeah, well, we, the starting point is we are we are going through our budget line by line. We're we're uh, you know looking for anything that can uh, we can hold off on at this time, obviously, or or new projects that we are going to start. Obviously, we're the first casualties uh, of this. Um, you know, in terms of programs, Bill, I think uh, it will depend on where the registrations come in. Uh, there may be sections or programs that we. Uh, that we suspend if there's not enough uh, uh, students that are interested in taking them. But that happens every year anyway. We are always used to adjusting programs based on demand uh, from, from incoming students. Um, so, you know, we will, we will spend the next uh, four weeks, which is our focus, uh, to, uh, to look at, at seeing what we can 
where we can save money, what we can stop doing. And we continue to talk to the government as well to see if there's support uh, that might be available from uh, the provincial government to shore up uh, some of these uh, losses as well in terms of uh, lower enrollments. Well, they haven't said no, uh, but hopefully they'll have a, an assessment of this and do something. I wanted to ask you, though, because one of the things that I've, I've always been impressed with with Mohawk College, we actually have done remote broadcasts from the Stony Creek campus about some of the great relationships you have uh, with uh, with private sector uh, partners uh, in, here in this community about training on the job, etc. cetera. Uh, how has the, the current situation impacted that, or has it impacted that? Uh, well, it has in some cases. So we have... Uh, we have- uh, some uh, co-ops that had to be suspended or, or uh, put on hold because the employers uh, are not operating right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was to be expected. Uh, but we have had nobody say to us, uh, but we don't want to take your students when we come out of this. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, people are, are, are saying there's a huge demand for uh, skilled labor and and, and also for uh, the students that we're putting through our program. So we're, we're quite uh, encouraged by that, Bill. So we know that as the economy starts to rebound and recover, there are going to be um, uh, job opportunities for our students. So we'll continue working with them. We have well over 2,000 employers that we work with, that we have different relationships with, and uh, they've been great in terms of supporting us. And uh, obviously, some of them are not operating right now, so that, that as I said, impacts our, our co-ops for our students. Challenging times, to be sure. Uh, Ron, good luck with this going forward, and uh, we'll certainly stay in touch as uh, things hopefully improve in the uh, the days and weeks ahead. Appreciate the time today. Bill, my pleasure, and uh, stay healthy. You too. Ron McCurdy, president of Mohawk College. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to talk about economic situations. Uh, as we mentioned yesterday, uh, the premier s- decided to come forward with what he called a roadmap and, and some uh, semblance of, of exactly what we're going to be looking like going forward as we come out of this uh, COVID situation and try to get the economy back on track. Here's what he said. We have thrown everything we have at this virus. And because of that, because of you, we have made tremendous progress. Today, we're on the path to reopening the economy because that curve is flattening. That surge in our hospitals, we avoided it. And that trend is going down. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, is there? Uh, let's ask Ian Lee from the Sprout School of Business at Carleton University. Ian, great to have you back on the program. How are you doing today? My pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Yeah, very optimistic tone from the Premier yesterday. Uh, then I look at the news last night, and the C.D. Howe Institute says, hey, excuse us, guys, we're already in a recession. Uh, this is, is there a light at the end of the tunnel, or is that a train coming at us? No, no, I, I do think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, the, the, in most of the countries, um, it is uh, peaked. And, um, uh, you know, it's obviously peaked and going way down in Italy and in Spain mm-hmm. and in France, uh, even in the U.K. And uh, we're seeing this in the States. Actually, there's a wonderful op-ed a couple of days ago in the States showing that if you remove the New York State data, uh, the rest of the United States has uh, numbers roughly similar to Germany 
in deaths per 100,000. That may shock people because they think that there's everybody's dying left, right, and center. But it's overwhelmingly a New York State problem where you have, and a New York City problem where you have extraordinary densities of people living yeah. close together. And uh, so that the alleged you know pandemic, epidemic, everybody dropping like flies in the states, it's simply not true epidemiologically when you look at the data and you take the New York data and you exclude it. It just isn't uh, supportive. So my point where I'm going with this is the there's by the way, for people may say, well, you're not an epidemiologist. How can you say this? Because I read the papers. I read the New York Times. Sure. I read Spiegel. And leading epidemiologists in Germany and in the States, one this morning in the New York Times, are putting out the data showing it's overwhelmingly seniors and people with compromised health uh, that have underlying health pro- serious health problems. And the, the, this morning he published, there was a professor from Stanford, a medical doctor, published the stats. And he showed that the uh, that the uh, uh, the statistics, uh, the actual mortality rate, he said, is has been wildly overestimated by WHO. And he says it's between one tenth of one percent and two tenths of one percent. And this is an epidemiologist at uh, Stanford University uh, using the numbers. So the point where I'm going is, yes, it's a risk to some people, and that's what he and other epidemiologists have been saying. It is a risk to some people, you know, elderly people, people in seniors' homes, extremely high risk. People on the front line in hospitals, very high risk. But as Professor Streak in Germany has shown by going out and measuring for the coronavirus in grocery stores, he has said very publicly, repeatedly, your chances of getting the coronavirus, going shopping, grocery shopping, for example, or retail stores, he said, are about zero. So, in other words, we need to have a risk-based approach, not an emotional-based approach. And the risk-based approach says we must take special measures for people in very high-risk situations like seniors, for sure, seniors' homes, for sure, the frontline health workers. We have to have very high standards of protection. But in the low-risk, low-contact, low-risk activities, general retail shopping, for example, their point is is that they, we can have very different measures, and that's basically what Quebec did the other day. It's really a risk-based strategy saying mm-hmm. those low risk can go back. High risk will be music concerts. I don't think they'll be coming back in 2020. Football games, soccer games, hockey games, basketball games, gone. And bars and restaurants, if they come back, it's going to look very, very different than it did before because they're high risk. Well, there's the other element, and you mentioned this in one of our previous discussions, Ian, and now that we seem to be moving in this direction, it's time to think of a more robust discussion about consumer confidence at this stage. You know, In Georgia, they opened the doors to just about everything last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Not a whole lot of people showed up. They're still pretty nervous about this, and that's going to be somewhat problematic for an already problematic economic recovery. I agree. There's two separate issues here, and they've been conflated completely uh, by a lot of the analysts. There's the one, will the government of the day, whatever jurisdiction we're talking, allow stores to open, whether it's the government of Ontario, the government of Quebec, the government of England, whatever, the U.K., etc. Then the second question is, even if they do allow it to reopen, will the customers reappear? And I, I've long believed, I'm one of these people that believe in the intelligence of democracy and the intelligence of large crowds. And I think people understand that grocery shopping and going into a retail store once every five years to get your diploma framed is not in the same category as being uh, in a senior's home. That is, people make distinctions. They understand there's different levels of risk. And I'll be very frank, I, I have no fear going into any grocery store, and I do it regularly. And during the coronavirus, and I'm 67, and I have a compromised immune system because of my arthritis. 
and I'm not taking risky chances. You wouldn't be caught catch me dead in an airplane. I wouldn't go near an airplane right now. I wouldn't go near a bar or a restaurant right now because it's just way too high risk. Lots of people, confined space, extended period of time. Professor Streak says that those are the three variables that put you into high risk. Lots of people, close together, extended period of time. I've just described a bar. Mm -hmm. I've just described a football game. I've described a music concert. I've described a hospital. I've described a senior's home. Lots of people, confined space, extended period of time. Walking into any retail store, well, first off, I'm not sitting there cheek by jowl with the other customers. I'm standing, walking around, and I'm there for 5, 10, or 15 minutes, and I'm out the door. So that's a very different set of behavior. It's a very, very low-risk behavior, according to Professor Streak. Not according to Ian Lee. According to Professor Streak, one of the leading German epidemiologists at the University of Bonn, and other epidemiologists have confirmed this, and the stats are confirming this. There is no reporting in Canada on any radio network or television network of large numbers of people who went shopping at Loblaws and came down with the coronavirus. It's just not there. It's not in the stats. The headline in the Globe yesterday, 80% of all the deaths are tragically in seniors' nursing homes, senior homes. And, and we know it's, uh, there, there's a doctor in Germany who's done over 100 autopsies on people who only died from COVID. And he wrote on it, about it. And he said, everyone, not some, not most, every last person he autopsied had, and they weren't all old people. Some were in their 30s, some were in their 40s, some were in their 50s. He said, every one of them had serious underlying problems. They were obese, or they had renal problems, kidney problems, or they had respiratory problems, or they had blocked arteries problems. They had a serious underlying health issue. In other words, people with underlying health issues or older people are the two segments that are very high risk. We've got to protect those people and make sure that they are isolated. It's uh, going to be fascinating to see how this rolls out, and we'll look uh, for the updates, of course, from the Premier and I guess the Prime Minister later on today as well. Ian, thanks again for this. Always great to get your perspective. Stay well, and we'll talk again soon. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks very much. Ian Lee, of course, from uh, Sprott School of Business at Carleton University in Ottawa. And uh, consumer confidence is going to play a big part in this, and it's going to be fascinating to see just how people respond as some of these uh, these restrictions are lifted and whether or not we do want to congregate at well, grocery stores or whatever the case might be. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.